This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. They call it the suicide jump, because if I missed and that bike landed on me, I was a dead man. Broke so, your hip. I broke my hip. Motorcycle daredevil Doug Danger hits wall at Hudson Speedway. Not expected to live. Hey, Casey, man, that song, that is like the original synthwave music. Have you ever heard of synthwave music? No. It's it's kind of like coming back in fashion. It's basically that type of music being, being made now, right? It's okay. supposed to sound like all that Cynthia 80s stuff. And it's just, it's the same kind of vibe, same style as that, man. It's like this new thing. At least it's new to me. So I'm, I'm listening to the other day. I'm like, oh, let me see what Synthwave is. I put it on. I must have sat there and listened to like five hours of Synthwave. I was so into it. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds like the 80s. That sounds like the 80s. I'm never going to get out of the 80s if they're going to start making Synthwave. I mean, I'm just trying to grow up here a little bit, and I'm absolutely still stuck in the 80s. But, yeah, no, it's a real thing, Synthwave. Nice. Yeah, I've never heard of it. And that one, you know, that was probably what – like, could you imagine, like, that song from – what was it again? What movie was that? That was uh, Raiders of the Living Dead. Yeah. Like, was, that, oh, was that a movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was a show. No, it was a movie with uh, Scott Schwartz, our oh, okay. first interview. But could you imagine, like, that, like, inspired – artists today like the, the music from raiders of the living dead inspired synthwave artists of 2020 is only because thing? of the internet i guess it is a thing because you said they're coming back right yeah there's there's synthwave artists <laughs> there's synthwave it sounds great i love it are they the, are they the same synthwave artists that were in the 80s they're just old now or <laughs> oh, that's a good question i don't know I, I assume it's back new- they're just, they just are, there's people just discovering how great the eighties was now. <laughs> They're going to just like everything comes around, you know, everything's supposed to be coming back around. I guess it's time for eighties to come back. Well, yeah, this was the, well, not, not this year. Last year was the first year that, uh, vinyl records outsold CDs. I think ever. Who's buying CDs now? Nobody. I, vinyl, I, rec- I, vinyl records fucking out, out, outsold them. I know people love vinyl, but I always think it's like, you know, they're buying it to collect it. I've never heard anybody say today, vinyl sounds so much better <laughs> than my Spotify. Like, I just, <laughs> I, I know there's people that definitely believe that, and then they're probably right. What I understand about the way that music works with digital, it, it's choppy. It's like where you listen to old analog stuff. It's a smooth sound. Your ear doesn't have to fight very hard to, to sort of process it. And what I think I heard, I could be totally making shit up and wasting everybody's time. But what I think I heard is that digital music is a little bit, it just it has to be choppier, but it's choppier in a way that you can't notice. But somewhere inside your brain, it, it's exhausting. Your brain trying to listen to digital music could put you in all sorts of bad, funky moods because you're working too hard. You're over-processing music. Good theory. How would people even know that? I don't know. If you listen to CDs and you start getting bitchy, then you, it might be true. And then you'll put on the, the vinyl and you're like, oh, I'm at peace now. I think, it all, I think it all depends on what you're listening to, whatever, you know, the system that you're listening to it on, I think has a lot to do with it. If you, you pop know? in like an eight track and you feel a lot happier than, <laughs> you know, downloading something from iTunes. I don't know. There might be some truth to analog is just better for the soul. I don't know, man. I know a guy that lives here close to us, and uh, I mean, he's huge in Atrex. He, he'll text me pictures of boxes and boxes of Atrex. He's like, "Look at all this stuff I got." I'm like, cool, you know? Yeah. I'm, wait, like, wait. I'm like, look at look at all this stuff that I got. The thousands yeah. and thousands of stuff I have right here, <laughs> right here on my personal computer. <laughs> but you got those Atrex from a box in the uh, ready for the trash man. You just got there before the okay. <laughs> but some people like to collect old stuff you know i got some albums hanging up here but it's really just nostalgic stuff yeah i i collect i mean i i buy albums all the time i can't tell you the last one i actually played them you know played one i have hundreds and hundreds of them 
every 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 year they have two record store days and they come out with like records that they only make you know a thousand copies of two thousand copies of and I, i'm always right there i'm like oh i gotta get that gotta get that spend like really? hundreds of dollars on record store day and i don't even open them they're just sitting there I actually knew, they're in storage right now i don't even have them in my possession i knew guys that did that with toys so it's like if a new star wars action figure came out he would go out and he would buy two copies of the toy two two toys one he'd open up and I'd say, oh, you're playing with that toy, aren't you? You're going to play with the toy. <laughs> no, man, I'm a grown man. I'm not playing with But one he'll open up and, quote, quote, play with. The other, you know, he'll just keep in the box because it's a collector's item. And one day he wants to have it, you know, in pristine shape and, you know, say, hey, I got Yoda in its original blister pack. But I never know because I'm not a collector. I never know. Do those things really gain money or do you even do it yeah. for money? I mean, maybe you just do it because you like to collect things. Maybe you're a hoarder, Casey. <laughs> No, they definitely they definitely uh, gain value because I will tell you I have done that with toys recently. You're one of them. Yeah, I was I actually, talking about you actually. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, a couple weeks ago, and this ties into our interview that we're, we'll be getting into. A uh, toy company called California Creations actually somehow acquired the molds to the original Evil Knievel bikes like the remember the old toys in the in the 80s or the late 70s and early 80s yeah so they actually have now the molds and they're starting to reproduce these bikes and figures and everything and really? so i bought two of them <laughs> i opened one and i played with it and uh, the other one is still in the box yeah so they, they the new one that just came out is called uh they call it the stunt cycle but it's actually the trail bike bill Remember the trail bike, the black one? I remember a play set. Okay. I'm pretty sure I remember a play set. Yeah, there, uh, was the, there was a ton of stuff. The original one was, I believe, the stunt cycle, which was white. with the. It looked similar to Evil's actual uh, bike that he used. And it had, like, the red, white, and blue stickers and all that stuff on it with yeah. the, the crank, you know? He was, I mean... The the world of Evil Knievel back in the 80s, I just remember it being like, oh, my God, this guy's a maniac. He's going to kill himself. He's so crazy. He's going to jump the, the Grand Canyon. And we didn't have the Internet to, like, tell us any truths. No, I mean, now we have the Internet that tells us bullshit anyway, but, like, it, it wouldn't have mattered. But, the like, the legend of Evil Knievel would just spread. And I remember talking to my friends, like, there's a guy, he jumped the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle. And I guess he never really did jump the Grand Canyon. I no. guess what I heard is he made all that up for publicity and promotion, kind of, which is brilliant marketing, word of mouth marketing. Just start putting out some bullshit, you know. I'm gonna yeah, try his, that. His uh, his original plan was to jump the the Grand Canyon, but he couldn't get the state to allow him to do that. So he actually then uh, I'm not sure how long, much longer after that was, but uh, he built he had someone build a rocket for him it was actually a steam-powered rocket bob truex built it and uh he was gonna jump the snake river in idaho and uh the chute deployed too early and he went down into the uh into the canyon he only broke his nose actually it was his easiest crash ever he, he only broke his nose okay you're telling me so he really did jump into the canyon and he fell short and he broke his nose yeah, the Snake River Canyon, yep. Did he fall right into the water? And uh, It was like off to the edge. Jesus, this is horrifying. Yeah. And they had people down there. You know, they, he was... What were they going to do, catch him? <laughs> what good are they down there? He had a parachute, Bill. He floated down into the canyon. He's also got a motorcycle. I mean, how big is this parachute? It's got to be the what? size of a Zeppelin. It, wasn't, it was a rocket. It wasn't a motorcycle. It was called the Sky Cycle. Oh, forgive me. I guess I thought that was a motorcycle. <laughs> but what was it then? It was a, a rocket, a steam, a steam-powered rocket. What was he sitting on? He wasn't sitting on a rocket. He was inside of it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, everything I've ever seen and, and heard, he was always somebody who was on top of a bike or you know riding a bike. I didn't know that he did stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And then actually, uh, I think we might have talked about this on the show somehow. I'm not sure, but... This Bob Truax, the guy that built the rocket for evil, uh, he, he has a son, Scott Truax, who actually built uh, an exact replica 
of the rocket and then uh, a stuntman from Hollywood named Ed, uh, Eddie Braun actually jumped the canyon in 2017 and uh, there will be a movie coming out. It's already filmed. I think they're just looking for the, the right distributors and all that. It's called Stuntman, but it's all about the, the process of him jumping the canyon. So they basically replicated the original jump and this time he made it. Yep. Yeah, it was the exact same rocket that, that the Bob Truex built. Scott built it uh, to prove that his dad's design would have worked if he would have uh, been given just a little more time to fix the uh, the parachute lever. There was something with the parachute lever that Bob didn't like, and that's why the parachute went off so early. And then he, he got a lot of blame for it, too, then. So kind of shitty. It's kind of a redemption story then with this. Yeah. yeah. How did, so how did Evil Can Evil die? Evil died of uh, pulmonary disease in 2007. He was 69 years old. Wow. All right. So it wasn't a, an accident. It wasn't anything like that. It was just a natural yep. Natural causes. Yep. What if it was like something really stupid? Like, could you imagine like he forgets to, he slips on a banana or something <laughs> like, like uh, my worst fear is, Going out in a stupid, stupid way. Like, hey, you remember Bill? Yeah, yeah, he was a good guy. Do you know how he died? No, how did he die? He slipped on a banana peel. And went headfirst down the stairs, rolled right into, a, into the highway. Like, I'll, I'll find a, the set of stairs right next to a highway. That's why I never run in rain, Bill. I would rather be wet than fall in uh, slip and fall. It's better to burn out than fade away. You know who said that? Neil Young. And then Def Leppard. So, yeah, I mean, it must be good <laughs> advice. <laughs> so, who are we interviewing today, then? So if, today, if, we're talking to Doug Danger. Oh, Doug Danger. I've definitely yeah. heard of Doug Danger. So, going back to Evil Knievel, so how I heard about Doug Danger, and uh, I, I talked to Doug a couple times on my other show. I travel for work, as you know, and I was in Topeka, Kansas for a job, and going down, I believe... 70 West headed into uh, Topeka. I saw a giant billboard for the Evil Knievel Museum. I was like, wow, that seems pretty cool. You know, I like checking uh, different museums and stuff out while I'm out on the road and if I have time. <laughs> so I got to the job and uh, no one was on site. I forget the reason exactly now, but uh, so I had nothing to do that day. So I went and I spent a few hours at the Evil Knievel Museum and uh, became slightly obsessed with Evil Knievel and have now spent thousands of dollars probably close to on the toys that we were talking about. And I'm talking original toys here, Bill, like in the box from the 70s with the paperwork. You're going to have to show them on the camera later. You're going to have to cut and, you know, <laughs> and edit in some of the, uh, some of the toys. Because I want to see them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, show, I'll definitely show them to you sometime. They're in storage right now. But uh, <clears throat> so anyway. You bought them to put them in storage. Well, no, we're trying to get the house in order to move. So yeah, trying to clear things out. And when you're, trying to stage a, when you're trying to stage a house to sell that looks like this, you don't want evil Knievel uh, memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, that may not help sell it. That may not help sell it. So, so, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, at the end of the tour – which, uh, well, it's not really a tour. It's a museum. You walk through it by yourself, you know. But I stayed there, and I read every single thing that you could possibly learn about Evil Knievel that's in this museum. And uh, it's it's a really, really awesome place. They have a lot of his original bikes at, uh, that we talked to Doug about in the interview. That he actually used uh, one of Evil Knievel's bikes to, to do a, a world record jump on. Uh, that he had to insure for quite a bit of money. He has Evil Knievel's actual rig there, like his uh, tractor trailer that he used for all of his jumps that you see in all of the famous uh, videos and stuff. It's called Big Red. Uh, he They had it restored uh, there at the museum. It's actually at a Harley-Davidson uh, dealership in Can Topeka, Kansas. It's on the lower level. And the guys there at the Harley Harley dealership uh, restored this whole thing and uh it's incredible i mean the the amount of work that they put into this museum is just awesome and i've been there i think four times now i've been inside the museum two or three times but i, I always go every time i'm in that area i always go check out the gift shop see if they got anything new and there's a really good barbecue place also upstairs in the harley dealership 
uh, that I always try to get lunch at when I can. Every time I go to a Harley dealer, I'm, I'm definitely thinking about going upstairs and getting food. Yeah, it's not very usual. <laughs> but, hey, uh, well, we talked to Doug. Maybe I can tell Doug about my motorcycle accident. See if he sure. thinks it's cool. Yeah. Sure. Did I ever tell you about what I did? No. All right. So I got a, I got a fat boy. I got a 1998 fat boy, Harley Davidson fat boy. And it's got this alarm system on it. It's got one of those fobs, you know, to mm-hmm. set the alarm. Son of a bitch never works. Always refuses to turn the bike on. Always turns the alarm and yells at me and humiliates me in front of people. Cause here I have this cool looking biker and I'm like, oh. so one day I forget to turn this bike off properly and I leave uh, the accessories on. So the bike dies. All right. So I call my buddies over and we're going to pop start the bike for anybody who doesn't know. If you push a bike down a, a hill, get some speed going and then pop the clutch that might be enough to get the bike kind of juiced up and going. So here's, here's how I broke my hip. Okay. My buddy Jasper's riding the bike. I'm pushing it to pop start it. I trip, I fall, I land on my phone and I break my hip. I fell down. It's not even a bike, like cool story. You broke so your hip. I broke my hip. I split the bald thing at the top of the hip in half. I got three screws in me. Jesus. I basically fell down pushing a bike. <laughs> So I gotta say, I wasn't even on the bike, <laughs> Casey. I wasn't even on the bike. So I know he might not really like that story. But yeah, 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 yeah. You want to hear about my bike incident? Yeah, yeah. How many cars did you jump? <laughs> I, I didn't. I fell down standing next to my bike. Yeah, I'm, maybe I'll keep that one to just us. Poor little fella. <laughs> <laughs> I threw some dirt on it. And I got up and I walked away. Uh, I don't believe that for a second. No. Every day I still feel this injury, which really sucks. Damn, man. So, uh, so anyway, getting back to the Evil Knievel Museum. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry about your, your hip, <laughs> but this is about evil. Evil's, evil had pins all over him. At the museum, the very last thing that, that is upstairs that uh, is in the tour is a 4D motorcycle jump. 4D. 4D. I right? have no idea what that means, 4D. So you put on a helmet with the virtual reality glasses on. Oh, like that. All yeah. right. And then they also have wind blowing on you. So Is that feels... the fourth dimension? Yeah, yeah. Why don't they tell like dead bugs on you and they're like, <laughs> you know, friggin' like road moisture and spit. <laughs> so this thing, I mean, I, like I said, I've never been on a motorcycle before, but the guy giving the tour, Carrie, who I've known now from going to the museum so many times, he stands there with you because this thing, you know, Doug wore a 15-pound helmet on his when he jumped these 15 cars that had cameras all over it. So if you look this way, you can see like whatever he he would have looked at if he would have looked that way, you know, or this way. Where, wherever you look, you can see it's it's incredible, and if it, it the bike moves also, you know, it's not like just solid you know it moves like a little bit and rumbles and all that stuff it, it's it's crazy carrie actually had to grab me from falling off because i was like trying to go around the corner <laughs> he's like you don't have to move you know yeah it's not a real bike but yeah but i uh, can feel awfully real yeah and this is the footage that that doug filmed because yeah. he had a camera on his helmet yep so you're actually yeah you're actually reliving some of his jumps yeah well oh, just this cool. one jump it's one jump at uh it was at the museum in Topeka, Kansas, where I think it was 15 police cars that they, it was, I think, for like the grand opening of the museum or something that they, that they did it for. But uh, I, yeah, I highly recommend that. It's, it's, I actually did that both times that I was there at the, at the inside the museum. Yeah. The second time I didn't move around as much, but like I was laughing like so hard like trying not to do it you know what i mean like because i knew that i wanted to you know what i mean and it's it's just like such a weird feeling you know i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna put the vr on and i'm gonna fall down and break my other hip (laughs) (laughs) then you can say you were actually fell off of a bike yeah (laughs) and the bike wasn't moving yeah (laughs) (laughs) at least there'll be a little bit more coolness in my injury stories no carrie wouldn't let you fall no he'll catch me yeah I'll have to get up there and see how well Carrie can hold me. <laughs> so what else you got, bud? You got anything else for us before we get that, into this interview? 
that is really it. I'm actually really curious to hear, you know, learn a little bit about Doug and hear some of the cool adventures he's had. Yeah, he talks about it all, but make sure you check out Doug Danger's uh, book. He's got a book out right now. Uh, you can find it everywhere on Amazon and uh, DougDanger.net. All right, so uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Doug Danger. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Deluxe Edition. <laughs> Joining me, as always, Bill Seabald. Hey, Casey. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good. Joining us today is motorcycle daredevil and motivational speaker, Doug Danger. How you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, so uh, before Bill and I got started here, we were talking a little bit about the uh, Evil Knievel Museum out in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, I was telling him about how I, uh, how I discovered Doug Danger, the, the jump out there that you did for the museum. Yeah. Could you, uh, could, could you tell I, us a little I, I, bit about that? Yeah, it's. Uh, I had to wear a helmet that was like 15 pounds with all the cameras on it, and it was a it was a pretty tough place to jump in. It was pretty tight, and we nailed it. We hit it pretty good. I, you know, I had my my uh, brother in law Lou Ray come out and help me out with it, and he did a great job setting everything up. I, I finally got to go out and do the ride at the museum myself. You know, last year. Oh, really? I was like. You talk about bringing back memories. I mean, just before the ramp, I stood right up on the. <laughs> I was like, "Holy cow!" Uh, I was watching some some girls do it while I was there, and they were screaming through the whole thing. I was just laughing like crazy. It, it's so real. I mean, if you ever wanted to feel what it's like to do a motorcycle jump, go to the museum and take a ride. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, the uh, when I went there, the the guy that do, that does the tour, Carrie. I've actually been there three or four times now, so I know him by name. Uh, he, when I did the jump, he was actually like holding me because I was moving around. You know, I I, ne- I was never on a motorcycle before, and and then I I go and do a, a how many cars was that? Fifteen. Fifteen police cars. Yeah, and uh, I'm like turning like this. He's like, you don't have to move at all. He's holding me steady. <laughs> you can't help it. It's, it's unbelievable. They've actually had some people that almost fell off. That's why they have to have somebody standing there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Let's get into how you got started as a as a motorcycle jumper. You were actually at the Caesars Palace, Evil Knievel, world-famous jump. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I was on my father's shoulders. I was five years old watching Evil Knievel do the fountain jump at Caesars Palace. Uh it's all in the book that we just had that just came out. It's my life kind of from beginning to end. It's, it's a heck of a story in this book. It, it, it tells all the highlights of everything that goes on in it. it. When I was out there in Caesar's Palace, you know, I, I watched Evil Knievel go bouncing across the pavement. And then this lady came over, this, this scruffy old lady comes over and says, Get that kid out of here. This is nothing for a kid to see. And my dad puts me down and walks me away. And he goes, Are you okay, son? I says, Yeah. You know what, though? I think I could have made that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was five years old, and I'm already saying I'm going to beat Evil Knievel, you know. But later on in my life, as I went on, I went to go do the jump out there at Sturgis a couple of years ago when I jumped Evil's bike over 22 cars. I mean, what people, a lot of people don't realize is this wasn't a replica of Evil Knievel's bike. This was his bike. I had to insure this bike for $350,000 in order to use it. We got it from the, from the museum and I went out and I did that jump and everybody, after I landed, everybody kept saying, Oh, you beat evil Knievel. You beat evil Knievel. And I I wasn't out to try to beat my hero. Evil Knievel to me was, was a superhero. Uh, I went out and basically what I did was I finished the jump for him. We set the world record together and now evil Knievel and I hold the world record on a Harley together that's awesome man obviously don't normally jump on that bike so what's it like to jump on a bike like evils compared to your normal jump bike which is just like a uh you use like a dirt bike right yeah i'll tell you what that bike takes off unbelievable flies through the air unbelievable but then you gotta land it (laughs) that's why evil missed a lot of his jumps there's a there's a sweet spot you gotta hit with the ramp there's only like about a 10-foot, 15-foot area that you got to hit where it, it hurts so bad. I did a jump over a rattlesnake pit. It was, uh, it was 100 feet in between the ramps. And as soon as I looked at that, the rattlesnakes in that pit, there was no way I was going slow. 
So I, I actually went a couple miles an hour too fast. Well, I, I bought a mile and a half too fast. And uh, I landed down near the bottom, and I ended up hurting my back. I didn't really let too many people know on it, but we hung around, had some fun. But I was I, I hurt for about a year after that one. Wow. I love it. You didn't let anyone know that you were hurt. No, there was uh, a lot of fun <laughs> to be had at you know Sturgis Buffalo Chip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just drink it off. Just get rid of it. The pain yeah. that way. The, the Throw some dirt on it. You know, I think what's happened through my life is I've become a lot more tolerable to pain than most people. I've had 59 broken bones in my career. I've had collapsed lungs, a brain injury. I've had some, you know, my femur was snapped off. I've had a lot of serious injuries. You have to work through the pain and learn how to carry on. That's what daredevils do. It's you know, if you're just going to sit home in bed, there's no payday coming for you next week. You know, got to get out there and keep going. And that's what the life of a daredevil is all about. It's it's not for the faint at heart. Is it something that's still pretty active? And I remember in the 80s when Evil, Evil Knievel was like everywhere. And you said he was your hero. He was like a superhero. Like he was bigger than life. And, you know, we didn't have the Internet to really get to see a lot of the stuff that made him so popular. But I remember how big it was. Is there still a thriving sort of uh, scene that you're part of that's still doing these kind of daredevil jumps? Well, we had 35,000 people come out to my jump at Sturgis, so there's still... still Certainly is. Yeah. yeah. It's still, the bottom line is you know, there are very few people today will go out knowingly and set a date that they might die. I'm going to go out and try to accomplish a great, you know, a great achievement. But my life is on the line at the same time. Uh, when I had my crash in Hudson Speedway, New Hampshire, I was in a coma for a month, and I had to learn everything all over again. My my memory was completely wiped out. I had brain damage on the right side of my brain. And you actually grow up all over again. You have to learn right from wrong and your morals and all that all over again. So when you go out there and you're going to put your life on the line, and when you're jumping that Harley-Davidson, you're definitely risky. They called it, they called it the suicide jump because if I missed and that bike landed on me, I was a dead man. And the thrill of that still draws the people out. And, you know, Woody up there at the Buffalo chip taught me so much about promotion. He goes, you have to, you have to let them know how bad this could be. And then everybody's going to come in saying, let's go watch this guy die. And then you do a few interviews. They see your wife there they know that you got kids. We ran some videos ahead of time. And now people understand that you're a human being. And they start to like you. And now they don't want to see you die. And now they're cheering for you. And we created a scene out there in Sturgis that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I come riding out on that bike. Everybody was jumping up and down and screaming. And I was looking around. I was, I was almost afraid because we didn't have big barricades old people back. And after I landed that jump, I had to do a live TV interview that was about 70 feet away and I couldn't get there because everybody had to reach out and just touch me and, and just you're the greatest, you're the greatest, just going nuts, you know? And they had to call these guys called the Cowboys. And these guys that wrestle bulls are like six, 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 eight. And, you know, built unbelievable. And they came out with these cowboy hats on. Yeah, okay. Clear away, clear away. And just pushing everybody out of the way. It was what, what, what a rush that was, man. It was unbelievable. I guess you got to put a lot of faith into your team, right? Because you, you mentioned earlier how you had a, a helmet that was 15 pounds. Maybe you said it was 15 pounds heavier because of the camera equipment. I got to think all that has to be calculated. This is a pretty mathematical type of um, thing that you're doing. If somebody gets one measurement wrong, maybe it could be well, death for you. I, I do most of the figuring on everything. And the, the deal with the helmet, the, the part that people don't understand is weight is not a factor. 350-pound Harley-Davidson at 70 miles an hour will fly the same distance as a 200-pound dirt bike. An object in motion remains in motion unless an outside force acts upon it, and weight is not a factor in that. Uh, the gravity doesn't really pull it down any faster. So the, the deal with the helmet being heavier, I did my practice in my regular helmet, and when I got ready to go, they threw that helmet on, and I says. I'm going to do one or two jumps, and that's it with this helmet on. So I did a couple practice jumps shorter, and then we uh, we threw it on for the big jump. And I'll tell you what, that, 
I, I hit hard, and that helmet really, it came down. But it's so neat because when you do the jump, you get up in the air, you can actually look to the side like that, and you'll see what I would have seen. You'll see all the people out there because there was cameras all around the helmet. And it's 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 quite a trip. It's really really worth a ride out to Topeka, Kansas to go to the Abel Knievel Museum. What's the most dangerous part? You said, you know, the bike falling on you is very dangerous. I, I guess I never thought that would be the most dangerous part, but that would make sense. I mean, these are giant machines that you're, you know, they have to come down just like you do. So if you don't have that balanced, I guess that could be something that could seriously well, the, hurt you. The, the biggest thing out in Sturgis was we had to be doing 80 miles an hour on the money. It wasn't 81. It wasn't 80 and a half. It was 80 miles an hour. And we were, we kept on practice runs with it. And, and a lot of these parts, Knievel had sold off his bike, all the high-performance cams and stuff. And they put a lot of Sportster parts in it. And I don't know if you know, there's not many Sportsters that are stock that go 80 miles an hour, not, not with a, without a lot of room. And we kept trying to get this thing up to speed. And we never reached 80 miles an hour with it, making any runs at the ramp. And when I got up there to do the jump, I went down and I tried to do my speed runs and I got up to 78 miles an hour and I knew that wasn't going to get me there. And I went up and I got to the, I turned around to do the jump and I just says, God, I, I hope you're caring for me here because I think I'm coming to you. I don't think I'm going to get the speed. I, I had him back up the starting position another 500 feet and uh, the, the security guys up there cleared all the people out of this road that was back there. And I just hammered that thing hard as I could and I ended up, uh, getting that thing to the other side. But as far as the danger, the other real dangerous part is coming up short. When you come up short, you go from 80 miles an hour to a dead stop instantly. No, you don't survive that. You know, that, that's just, that's death. Now going back to your, you're saying about the speed runs and stuff, Doug, is all that done with a a gun because your bike doesn't have a, that bike didn't have a speedometer, right? Oh yeah. I have a digital speedometer. Oh, you do have one on on the way. Okay. Yep. When you're jumping, you know, out, out to like 80, 90 feet, you can usually do without the speedometer. But when you start putting 130 to 150 feet in between, you know, anything from 100 feet farther, you need to put a speedometer on it. It gets, you can't tell the difference between 80 miles an hour and 82 miles an hour by feel. You just, you can't do it. You know, I've sure. watched Robbie Knievel. He doesn't use a speedometer. He does the radar gun. He has one of the most incredible feels for speed that I've ever seen. But even when he's done some of the longer ones, I saw when he did all the Coca-Cola trucks at Kings Island, you know, he, he just hammered as hard as he could and went. And, you know, he was off a couple miles an hour. He come up a little short, you know, because it was a dirt bike. He was able to hang on. Mm-hmm. With, with me, I, I went 251 feet. I jumped over 42 cars. I was doing almost 100 miles an hour when I did that one. And if you can tell me that you can tell the difference between 97 miles an hour and 100 miles an hour, I feel there's no way. Yeah. So is that the that's the jump you were in the Guinness Book of World Records for, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nine years. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I was on top of the world once. <laughs> <laughs> the Harley jump was a world record too. It was the farthest most cars ever jumped on a Harley Davidson. Oh wow. <laughs> awesome. So going back to the thing you said earlier about the the there's not much room to spare. Why is it that you use I guess they call them cheese wedge ramps, right? The the really skinny ramps. Uh, <laughs> when you're going at that ramp, everybody says, why is your takeoff ramp only four feet wide? There's a six-inch wide line up the center of it. If my tire isn't on that, I'm not hitting the other side anyways. <laughs> you don't have to be. All you got to be is wide enough to go up it, put your feet down on the bike, and then give the thumbs up and back down. It doesn't have to be any wider. In the old days, they used to use eight-foot-wide takeoff ramps, and I've never seen the need for it. The landing ramp out in Sturgis, usually once you go past 100 feet, you got to go to at least 12 feet wide on the landing ramp. And if you see some of these freestyle guys going for records, they've got ramps that are like 50 feet wide and hundreds of feet long. In Sturgis, we didn't have room for any of that. I had an eight-foot wide landing ramp. So I flew 151 feet off a four-foot wide takeoff ramp and landed on an eight-foot wide ramp. Holy shit. it had to be on the money. It was, you know, and there was a, there's a building right there at the bottom of the landing ramp. If I would have messed up and gone off to the right, I would have been dead. It was a suicide jump. There's any question about it. 
Uh, you haven't obviously landed all of your jumps. Uh, you said you, earlier you had a brain injury, uh, that you were in a coma for a month. What other types of injuries have you had? I broke more bones than Evil Knievel, so I guess if he says he broke every bone in his body, I can say I did more than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I broke 59 bones. I, I had one crash where I, I broke 17 bones in one shot. That was the one at Hudson Speedway. And that's that's a big feature in this book that just came out. It, you know, I heard stories about that crash. Well, I was in a coma, so I I don't remember any of this. But my mother came, and she wrote what it was like for her. She describes, you know, she found out how badly I was hurt. You know, my my wife at the time had told her, yeah, if you want to come up, you can come up. He's going to be okay. He, he's just hurt. And then my brother wanted to talk to me. And she goes, well, he's on a, he's on a respirator. And as soon as my brother heard that, he knew that I was in bad shape. And they didn't know how bad because my ex-wife wasn't really filling in too much to him. So when they were on the plane coming up, my mother pulled out the USA Today. And she, was, she went through the sports page. And on the headline of the sports page, it says, Motorcycle daredevil Doug Danger hits wall at Hudson Speedway, not expected to live. And she said she almost threw up, you know. <clears throat> this book goes into the, the details of her walking into the room the first time. I, I hit a cement wall. It was about four feet high, and it came right through the helmet right here, right on the top corner. You know, your helmet goes back like this, and it hit me right here, and my face was shattered. My nose was way over here. They had put pins upside my nose, and my, my eyeball was hanging out. This book goes into some incredible detail on all this. The, the writer that we have, the author, Stephen Hall, he's a motorcyclist, and he's also in the health field. And after he wrote this thing, I almost got sick to my stomach reading the part about how bad the injuries were and how bad things were. And I cried for my mother, you know. I never knew I put her through that. And all the time people look at us daredevils like, oh, they're so brave, they're so brave. We're not that brave. We have confidence in what we do. And I was in a coma for a month on life support. And for three of those four weeks, I was in – they called it extremely critical condition because every day I could have been gone. And it wasn't me that was brave there. And, you know, my wife at the time, my mother, my brother, they, they went through hell. And you, you don't realize until something like that happens that this whole big hero, daredevil, brave guy thing, it's not always what it seems to be. You're bringing a whole big crew along with you for a ride, and they didn't ask to be part of it. So for a daredevil, where is the, the goal? Like, what, what is each person trying to accomplish? I assume it's you go in, you want to be the best at X, Y, or Z. What really motivates a daredevil to keep on trying to go, and how do they know when it's enough? You know, how do they say, I've met my, uh, my mission here? Well, there's... There's several types of motorcycle daredevils out there. There's guys that just like the thrill and the rush from it. And, you know, it's unbelievable when you accomplish like a 10 or 12 or 15 car jump. And then you go up and there's kids with their eyes this big and they want you autograph and they think you're the greatest. It's a great ego trip. With me, when I got into motorcycle jumping, I had a totally different frame of mind than most motorcycle jumpers. When I got into motorcycle jumping, I, I don't want to be average. I want to be the best or I'm going to die trying. This is what my life was meant to be. I want to be the best there is in the world. And I did things, you know, it's a hell of a feeling when you get ready to go off a ramp and you know you don't have the room to go, but you gave your word and you're going to go. When I was in Sturgis, man, I didn't think I, I, didn't think I was going to live through that. It, it, was, it was tough as heck. But my big goal is, you know, a lot of us live for that adrenaline rush. That adrenaline rush, when, when I had my head injury, the wife I had at the time said that if I didn't stop jumping and she was going to leave, and my neuropsychologist that was dealing with my head injury said, do you know what he's going to have to go through in order to stop jumping? And she goes, she doesn't care. And he goes, well, hang on, listen. 
he's going to have to go through something just like Alcoholics Anonymous because the the addiction to the adrenaline rush is just like alcohol or drugs. It gives you a high that is so far above anything you could ever imagine. When I landed that jump in Sturgis, I was high for two years. I was just riding a cloud. I, I just, it, it was my life. I, I turned around and I told Latham McKay, the guy that owns the bike and he runs the, or well, he, he's one of the owners of the Evil Knievel Museum. He let me use the bike. I said, if I die tomorrow, I can tell you right now, I'd be a happy man. Not that I'm dying, not I'm happy, I'm dying, but I'm just, I've completed the stuff in my life that I think has made me one of the greatest motorcycle jumpers of all times. And I, I can retire, I can live peacefully and be fine with it. But that adrenaline rush, anybody that's won, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali winning the fights like he won, uh, gold medalists at the Olympics, IndyCar drivers, NASCAR drivers, you know, football players win Super Bowls. It's, it's, it is an unbelievable rush. And I, I think that's what most of us do it for. Mine's, mine can be a little more dangerous than most, but I try to use my head and I've always done a pretty good job. I, I had an accident a couple of years ago, but that was the first one I'd had in a while. Have you ever had just like a car accident, like a fender bender, like you rear-ended somebody and went, oh, how can I, how can I do that when I jumped all these things successfully? Uh, honestly, I, you know, everybody goes, how can you be a safety guy when you're a daredevil and you risk everything? I risk everything and I see the odds and what causes danger. And I eliminate as much of that as I can. I haven't had a car accident since I was 16 years old. I, I had a car accident the second day I was on the road. I, <laughs> I spun a Mustang out that I had, hit a telephone pole with it. And I realized playing around in a car is not the same as playing around on a bicycle or, or a dirt bike out in the woods. You know, it, it, you, you're going to kill somebody. So I drive extremely safe. I look ahead and I try to look at every intersection. When I'm riding on the road, I, I've, I've been very fortunate. I've never had any accidents on the road. And I always try to look ahead and my eyes can see way out i you know if somebody something's coming this direction i i immediately go to the brakes i haven't had too many bad things going on on the road that's great you said you first got into this watching evil knievel when you were five which is amazing because i remember nothing about being five you kind of picked this up and you said i want to do this and you stuck with it so how do you how do you really get started do you get a dirt bike when you're a kid you start hopping little wood wedges and you know, well, how do you grow into jumping all these things? Well, as soon as I saw Evil Knievel, I, I hadn't even learned to ride a bicycle yet. And my father bought me a bike. I was this little tiny squirt. He bought me a full-size bicycle. And he lifted me up and set me on a seat and pushed me down this driveway. It was a hill, you know. And I went down and went back and forth like this and then crashed and got all scun up and everything. And I was bawling my eyes out. I ran in and my mother, you know, like... Now, don't have your father try to teach you. He doesn't know anything about this stuff. So I, I healed up about a week or two later. And my, my brother brought me out and he goes, let me show you how to do this. And, you know, he walked me along and he helped me get going with the bicycle. My brother taught me how to ride. And uh, we did it safely. And as soon as I got going on the bicycle, we started building some some ramps with the bicycle. And I ended up jumping four cars on a bicycle. That's so that's how far I got out. And back in them days, that was something, you know. Now they've got this other guy, Mercury Morgan. He gets pulled by a motorcycle, and he jumps over cars and trucks. And he goes quite a ways, man. He, and he crashes through a firewall at the end of it. It's, it's like he, he's a nut, man. And that's using a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. did you switch over to motorbikes then? Uh, when I was, I think, about 14, I got a dirt bike. And uh, I started riding and. I learned how to jump it in the sand pits going off of these big jumps and everything. I was jumping two to three times as far as anybody else could and still hang on because I learned how to use the brake in the air and the throttle. And I learned how to cross up to bring things back. And after a few years of riding a dirt bike, when I was 17, the carpentry department in my high school built a set of ramps for me. And I got out to 10 cars before, you know, I realized the ramps were way too small and I crashed. And, but I, I made the headlines in the local newspaper. I was a star, man. I was hooked then. 
everywhere I went to go eat, everybody goes, oh, I saw you in the paper, saw you in the paper. It's like, oh, hey, that was cool. Like, yeah, that was great. Was, when are you jumping again? So I was, I was hooked then. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> so how do you feel about guys like uh, Travis Pastrana and, and other daredevils of today saying that they've broken Evil Knievel's records but you're the only one that's actually used his bike. So, you know, how, how can they say, how do you feel about them saying that they've broken evil's records, but they're using different bikes and stuff? Yeah. You know, I, my ramps had a curve to what evils didn't. So my, my feeling on that is you, you have to get, uh, if the definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result, you have to change something. So I changed the angle of the ramp a little with, with the Harley, I actually had to go way steeper than he had. So I went a lot higher than he did. But Travis Pastrana, I got a funny story about that one. We did a move, uh, we did a TV show last year called Evil Live. I went up there. I got so much respect for him because he did the first double backflip. And I've, he's won Supercross championships. And him and I had so much fun together up there at his house. But we were, we, he goes, you want to go for a ride in one of these side-by-sides? I was like, yeah, sure, let's go for a ride. He goes, I want to show you all the ramps I got down in the back. He had like 100 freestyle ramps back there. So we're driving around, and he was telling me the story about this gigantic ramp they had that they, this guy did his backflip, and he was way above all the treetops and everything. And I saw this ramp that didn't have much of an angle to it. It was you know, a real shallow angle like this. I said, what do you use that one for? He goes, you really want to know? I went, yeah, sure. Hang on. And we went down. <laughs> he turned around, and he hit that ramp, and we flew about 60 feet in the air. Well, not 60, probably about 30 feet in the air. And about 70 feet away, there was a dirt bound, and we landed right down on it. I'm holding on for your life. I was laughing like crazy. And he goes, well, you took that one well. He says, you ready for the big one? And I went, oh, no, what do you mean the big one? We were just sky high in the air with his, with his side by side. He goes, if you're okay with it, he says, I'm going to ask you first because we're going to go on this one. I'm like, I'm trusting you, dude. Let's go. And I hung on. And we go into the woods, and he pinned that thing wide open, and there was this hill that went straight up like this. And we went off the top of that thing, and we were up above the treetops in this side-by-side. And I'm going, this is going to hurt when we land. And we flew probably about 100 feet and then came down. And on the other side, there was a steep, steep hill like this, and he hit it right on the money and went down. And then we had to lock it up because there was a whole bunch of trees there. But I'll tell you what. It took my breath away. <laughs> Travis Mastrada is, in my eyes, probably the greatest writer there's ever been. He's he's unbelievable. Nice. That's awesome. That's a great story. Is that in Maryland? Does he, he has, he has yeah. a place in Maryland, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then so, we flew out to uh, we flew out to California. The guy was gonna this Alex guy was gonna try to beat the world record, and I guess he crashed in practice. We had some videos and pictures of it. He was trying to go. 450 feet and I the size of the ramps I looked at it and when he got hurt I was just I said to the producers if you want me to try this I'll try it and you know no, 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 monsters behind it and all that and you kill yourself and then I'm like well I've been a long ways I, <laughs> I I was I hate to say that I would have tried it for sure because these guys are flying a long ways today you know I I don't care how big your ramps are when you're flying a motorcycle 450 feet through the air, 50, 60, 70 feet in the air, it's, it's incredible. These guys are awesome, man. I have all the respect in the world. I liked it because when I was out there, all the, the freestyle guys like Seth Enslow, Trigger Gum, all, all the guys that are long-range jumpers through the years that have held world records, they all came running over to me. Oh, i got to get a selfie. I need your autograph, man. You were the man. You're the guy I watched. You're the reason I'm doing this. And I was like, no, evil's the reason we're all doing this. No, he was way done when we started. You were on TV all the time. And I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> it's like pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was actually supposed to come out for that. Uh, I had a, actually, I had a ticket for that, and then it got canceled, so I decided not to uh, Oh, yeah, out. second time. While we're on that subject, how do you feel about that, him hurting his ankle and then uh, calling it off and not doing it? Do you think, uh, how, what do you think evil would have done? Oh, there is no question evil would have gone. <laughs> I know I would have gone. You know, I, until you're in somebody's shoes, it's hard to say because I was disappointed that he, you know, to me, when you give your word, you go. 
you get it. I mean, he had a, the biggest opportunity in the world right there to be pretty famous. He's making really good money with, with freestyle stuff. And I don't know what their contract was money wise on that one, but you know, it's not worth dying. When, when you're getting out to that far of a jump, it's live TV. You don't have a choice of saying, ah, man, it's a little too windy. <laughs> Let's hold off. You know, at 645 and 30 seconds, you have to be leaving that ramp. It has to. That's, that's, it's live TV, period. You have to go. Starts raining a little bit, there's, you've got to go. And that's the tough thing about live TV. So that's a lot of pressure to put on a young man like that, that, you know, he's got a long life ahead of him. I've been fortunate most of the time, you know, I've pulled out most of my jumps. You know, I, right after I jumped the 42 cars, set the world record, I missed the 11 car jump at Hudson Speedway. And I was in a coma for a month. And I'm telling you, this stuff is dangerous. And he broke his leg and he was walking around on crutches that next day. And, you know, I don't know. Hey, maybe he made the right choice for himself. I would have gone, but I'm just, you know, I just, maybe it was just how a smarter kid would have thought. Sometimes <laughs> daredevils are not known to be the smartest people in the world. <laughs> I, I like how you have respect for the production. You have respect for everybody who put this thing together and the, and the fans that have come out to, to see it. Totally makes sense. I never thought about it that way. What do you think about um, the stuff that, people do on youtube then right are you supportive of, of sort of the stunts that they're doing because it doesn't seem like when you see these things on youtube that they may have the same kind of team as you and the same well, kind of it, it depends on the stuff you're talking about if it's the, you know the stuff the dumb stuff where people get hurt I, i'm talking about the dumb stuff yeah <laughs> yeah nah, not a fan of it at all there, you know i can only watch a couple of them because one of the things that bothers me today is everybody's laughing at other people's pain when Evil Knievel did this, people would see him crash. Nobody was laughing. These things weren't funny. This, this was a man pushing the limit, giving everything he's got to try to set a world record, try and jump this Harley Davidson over all these buses or cars. And you couldn't help but hope for him. He, he was a guy that, that he said it how it was. He was never afraid to say anything. He always used to say to people what they were thinking, but everybody else was afraid to say so everybody loved that guy. He was our hero. And then you didn't want to see your hero die. When Evil Knievel died, my world changed. You know, I went out to Evil's funeral, and it, it became a day when I would no longer ever get to go have lunch with Evil Knievel or get to see him riding around his car in Butte, Montana. You know, we used to go out to Evil Days all the time. And it, it, my life became a little different after that. I had to change focus and and my thinking a little bit, you know, Superman died. Superman's not supposed to die. It was a reality check for me for sure. So Doug, not only did you, uh, have you had all these injuries and everything, you were in a coma for a month, but you're also a stage four cancer survivor. You want to tell us a little bit uh, about that? Yeah. Um, you know, we, when we, we talk about heroes and stuff, you know, all this stuff is in this new book that just came out. It's, you know, it's called dare to dream. You know, Doug Danger, Dare to Dream. You can get it on Amazon and everything. But it's, it's all in there. We're heroes, but anybody that's ever faced cancer and given the kind of prognosis that I was given and don't give up is a hero. They're a champion because when a doctor says to you, you have stage four cancer and you have about three to six months left to live, you can prepare for a lot of things in life. But I can tell you right now, you know, you can prepare for retirement, for having a baby, all sorts of stuff. There is nothing you could ever do to prepare to have a doctor tell you that. And my wife was sitting right there when the doctor said that. And I just said, you're telling me I have 0% chance of living? And he goes, about 5% of the people make it through the cancer as bad as you have it. I says, 5%? So I got a chance. And he started laughing. He says, I don't like to tell you you have a chance. 5% is so small. I says, that means five people out of 100 beat it. I'm one of them guys. I said, you know who I am? I'm Doug Danger. I'm the greatest motorcycle jumper in the world. I had to build my eagle all up, you know. But I just, I got done telling him that. And he goes, you got the right attitude. Let's go at it. And my wife took me for a ride. And I started crying in the in the car because, 
you know, I thought of my, my children. And we went to a church, and I cried, kneeling down and praying for two hours. And I finally just says, God, if you can give me enough time and my son can graduate college, get a direction in life, get to a point where he doesn't need me coaching him and helping him a lot, then if you want to take me, I'm fine with that. If you can give me that deal, I'm okay with it. So ever since my son, he's just finishing up college now, and I've just been kind of looking for these bolts of lightning and stuff. <laughs> and it's like God gave me a gift. I, I, you know, cancer was back in 19, uh, not 19, it was in 2011. Yeah, so I've, I, I've been a very lucky soul. Well, pe- some people say attitude is everything, and you might be proof of that. So, Yeah, and, you know, and like I said, well, people can read the book. They can. There's a lot of inspirational stuff in my book. If you're facing any tough things, like like cancer, or just anything in life, you're trying to get somewhere in life. If you're trying to reach a goal in something, my book has so many inspirational things in there that can help you believe in yourself. Because the number one thing you have to do in life is forget everything else. And you start out with believing in who you are. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a motorcycle jumper. And if you would have told me when I was watching TV, watching Evil Knievel jump all them buses or all those cars, hey, Doug, pay attention. You're going to be jumping that bike that he's riding right now for the world record someday. I would have said, you're, you're crazy. When, when you want something, all you have to do is, is keep taking steps to get where you want to get. And when there's there's a sign about the universe. What is it that you if you put it out there, the universe will hand you what you need to get it done. And it's you just you got to keep trying. You can't just sit back and do nothing. You know, I got a, I got an incredible fortune cookie the other day. What what did that one say? Like it, the difference it's between reality. The difference between a dream and reality, and reality is action. If if you're willing to do something. Stand up, get walking, get going. You want to get in shape? Get out and start walking. Start lifting weights. Start doing it. It doesn't happen by itself. Nothing happens by itself. So this is how I've been my whole life. I, you know, there's been times when I've been down. Coming back from that accident was, was horrible. You know, as a, as a 30, 31, 32-year-old, because I had a child's mind, zero experience in life, I was picked on and bullied pretty horribly. You know, I hear about kids being bullied in school. I know what it's like, and, and it's relentless. And, you know, you've got to keep trying and keep changing things and try different ways of doing things. And the biggest thing that I found with bullies, the people that were picking on me, you, you know what crushes a bully? Kindness. If you can be kind to him, that's, I mean, that's, that's how I handled all that stuff. You, you, you hit them with kindness, and they're so mixed up. They don't know what to do. This guy was just real. I was picking on this guy. was beat on and that. Now he's being kind to me. He just gave me his lunch. He just gave me some cookies. How, how often can you keep beating that guy up, you know? <laughs> just be nice to him. Yeah. And it, it always worked. I always came out ahead of the game. Well, that's great stuff. Doug, thank you so much. I mean, this is a perfect place to end. Give us a lot to think about, but you have a book with a lot more of this in it. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about where we can find the book. Well, you can go to DougDanger.net. You can order it there. You can go to uh, 15rules.com. He, that's the author's website. You can go to Amazon. You can kind of get it anywhere. Kindle. You can either order it as an ebook or you can order a paperback. We're doing a, a setup now. I, I just, uh, I've got, we just ordered a, a big bunch of books that if people want them autographed, uh, order it through DougDanger.net, and, and then we can work out a deal where it gets autographed. It's slightly more because it has to be shipped twice, but you can get them there. Nineteen ninety-five. That's for the uh, paperback, and it has a lot of nice pictures in it too. If you get the ebook, it's nine ninety-nine. Yeah, I highly recommend it, man. I, I got uh, the ebook, and I'm waiting on the paperback uh, version now. And that's, it's really good. I started it and uh, really enjoy it. Yeah. You, if you start it, you're at about, it starts off with the crash at Hudson Speedway. Yep. There's yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people find it hard to 
believe that there's that there's a superior person above us. But I'm telling you right now, I've had miracles happen in my life. Cancer, I should have been dead. Five percent chance, beat it. I was in that coma for a month, and my doctor, I talked to him afterwards, and he said I used to walk into your room every day and shake my head because your heart monitor was still beating. It's not a bad thing to believe in God. It, it really is cool, you know. Uh, it can make your world a lot nicer. All right, Doug. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to do this. We appreciate it, man. All right, man. It's great talking with you guys. Thanks a lot. Great meeting you. Thank you.